0: I'm going to be reading Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
1: Good job, job, Miss Ella. That is my um, oldest daughter and the star of many uh, sermon stories. We have the kind of PKs in our house that argue over how many times they get to be in our sermons. My middle kid is always like, I never get to be in your sermons. I'm like, girl, you need to give me some more material. (laughs) Then let's talk after that. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to get to speak to you today. Um, as, mes- as most of you know, and as Pastor Matt already mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, and it also marks the beginning of Holy Week, uh, the sacred span of time between Palm Sunday and Easter. This marks the final week on earth for Jesus, and it's the centerpiece of our faith. So Palm Sunday, a famous moment in the life of Jesus and a very familiar story to what I would assume is most of us in this room. Today, we're gonna break down and discuss this story and all of the good things that are packed into it. But you may be wondering, aren't we in the Shadow of the Cross series? And haven't we already in the timeline of our series? We've already walked through uh, the death and burial of Jesus. Aren't we a little bit out of order if we're talking about Palm Sunday today? And to all of those questions, I would say yes, absolutely, we are out of order. But what we're going to do today is push the rewind button on our old school VCR and just rewind just for a little bit because we're only going back one week. Uh, We're hitting reverse to look at the moment when all that we have been talking about over the last several weeks began, the triumphant entrance of Jesus and the beginning of his final week on earth. But today, I don't just want to break it down. I'd really like to set a stage and tell a story, to really let the story wrap around us in a way that we can place ourselves into the narrative and not just hear a familiar story in a way where we kind of glaze over, but really experience it in a new way. So our scene opens with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and both prophetically and historically, this is significant because it was prophesied hundreds of years prior that the priest king or the Messiah who was destined to bring all of the nations to the God of David would stand on this mount. Meaning the stage of our story for today is being set. The stage for this grand moment, this triumphant entry that will ring true and ignite a response from the Jewish hearers and those who would see and participate in it. But what we see in this story is a classic case of misinterpretations. Jesus and his ministry is just coming off of one of the most buzzworthy things in his ministry to date, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And as you can imagine, the word on the streets is beginning to spread about this man who is raising the dead to life. Everyone wants to see and experience what is happening with this Jesus. And there's also an undercurrent of allegiance that is being expressed. The people are beginning to make connections to the fact that he could be the one that we have been waiting for. Remember, the disciples and all of the Jewish people were at the time looking for their king. All their lives they had read about this Messiah that Yahweh would provide and that he would be the Lord of all nations and that he, though lowly and humble, would still overthrow the oppression and evil in the world around them. Rome was in power and oppressing them and ruling over them with unspeakable evils. And like us, their worlds consisted of what they could see in the moment. And in this moment, it could only mean one thing. Our King has come, let's do this thing. Even though Jesus had said and prophesied to the disciples about what was coming for him and the fate that awaited him, not just once, but a few times, very plainly spelled it out. They heard what they wanted to hear. Selective hearing is what my husband calls it. Apparently it's a disorder that he has, that he possesses. So if you guys could just pray for him, that would be great, it'd really help me out. Jesus probably got the first sentence out and talking to his disciples, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and then immediately their minds go, they're wondering, they're picturing what it's going to be like when that actually happens, and they're completely ignoring what he is telling them is actually going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this When the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. To set his face towards Jerusalem meant something very different for Jesus than it did for the disciples. You can see the visions of greatness that were dancing in their heads a few verses before that an argument arose amongst the disciples as to who was going to be the greatest. So obviously we can see by how they're interacting with each other, by how they're arguing with each other, what they thought this moment would mean. Glory, conquering, our moment for this movement that we've been following to really take off. Jerusalem and glory were just around the corner. Oh, what it would mean for Jesus to finally take the throne. There's no doubt what is on the disciples' minds. It wasn't weird for them when they were asked to go get a donkey. They knew why. This was the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy given centuries earlier. Let's read this prophecy from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So they probably have a checklist going on in their heads Mount of Olives, check. Donkey, check. The long awaited Messiah had come the king of Israel and not just of Israel, but of all the earth. Jerusalem would be his capital city. And from there he would rule the world in peace and righteousness. What a day this was, how their hearts must have been pounding in their chests, their hands a little bit sweaty about the possibility of a, of a possible battle coming. The music begins to swell as with any great movie, we can hear the music beginning to rise underneath them. I played basketball in uh, in high school, and now that I have middle and high school um, kids, I get to relive those moments a lot. We talk about that. Our glory days is what Bodie and I call them. He played high school sports too, and we were joking and laughing at each other um, a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, we really need to get some new accomplishments <laughs> because we're a little too old (laughs) to be reliving these days over and over again. But anyways, I played high school in basketball and um, when we had a home game, um, our team had a song, you know, that we would come out to. If you ever did basketball, maybe you had the same. Um, so we would, uh, had this particular song, and so when it was time for us to come out, we would all be huddled in the locker room waiting. The song would come on, but we had a specific moment that we wanted to come out in the song to, so we would let it play for a couple of bars and then come out. And I was thinking this week about the energy in that room and what it felt like and waiting as it was time for our moment to come in, and I imagine that it might have felt a little bit like this on Palm Sunday in a much, lesser way, obviously. But this was it. This was their big, grand entrance. And I'm sure they were thinking, how is this, how is he going to do it? Is he going to whip up the enthusiastic crowds and we have a people's revolution? Would he call down fire from heaven and just consume the enemies of God? Would any of us, any of his followers, any of the people be lost in any of the struggle? The tension of the moment must have been tremendous. And when they start to enter into the city, things start to happen. We are told that people began to spread their cloaks on the ground. Some cut palm branches and spread them out and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, before you get all sentimental and thinking about your Easter plays of old and your gentle ladies in the church and their Bible costumes waving their faux branches back and forth. Anybody? Anybody else? All right. These same faux branches that lived in the the prop room the rest of the year. This is not what this moment was like, okay? This was a provocative moment. This was not uh, tame like the Hillsong tune that we sang this morning together, it wasn't subtle. It was a riot, it was a statement, it was fists in the air battle cry. Remember, the Jewish people were looking for a savior. They were looking for one to deliver them. And yes, Jesus was and is that, but on very different terms than what they had pictured. It was Passover, the salvation celebration of the Jewish faith and the world would be coming to Jerusalem to celebrate in this festival. The city that normally held around 30,000 people would now have around 180,000 people. The crowds that surrounded Jesus were not small. And so again, it's another check mark. This is the time to do it. If there was ever a time, this is the time. Everyone's here. The world is watching. We're here to celebrate our salvation event from the time of Moses. You delivered us once from our oppressors, and now it's time for you to do it again, God, in the same way that you did before. The symbol of laying down the coats is similar to how we lay out the red carpet, but it was also a sign that they would give anything else they had to give to him as well. The cut palm branches were a symbol not only of worship, but it could also been a symbol most likely of Rebellion. In Jerusalem, raising the palm branches pointed back to the Maccabean revolt, and it was a defiant and provocative symbol to Rome that they would no longer be under their rule. This wasn't some Sunday school display. This was a protest, a scene, an uproar. It was not tame, but wild. And for much of Jesus' ministry, he urged people to be quiet about who he was. When he healed people, he told them not to, not to say anything. When he confronted demons who recognized him as the Son of God, he told them to shut up. That's because it was not time for him to declare himself as Messiah. But on Palm Sunday, the time had come. In fact, we read Jesus' words in Luke saying, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So this, my friends, is a moment. So now what? We've placed ourselves in the story, we feel the emotion of it, we experience this grand entrance, now what? Back to our earlier questions, what would happen next? After this kind of moment, surely something grand is about to happen. But when Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem, he knew this was coming. He knew what they would be thinking. He knew what kind of revolution they were hoping for. And we're told again in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus wept over the city. This is only the second time that we read in the Gospels that Jesus wept. And he does not weep for himself. He weeps for the city. He weeps for those who are now shouting Hosanna, who will soon shout, crucify him. In other words, He weeps for us. While they longed for him to become the leader of an anti Rome insurrection, we read that he quietly made his way through town. The humble and lowly Jesus we know to be on his way to the cross. When he turned his face, Jesus had another vision in his head. Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus certain death and he wasn't under any illusions of a quick, heroic death, when he set his face toward Jerusalem, he set his face to die in a brutal and excruciating way. Jesus is presenting himself as Messiah to Jerusalem, but radically and subversively redefining what that means from every angle. Jesus then, after this moment, this entrance, he then makes his way to another famous scene of our faith. You may know it as the cleansing of the temple or the turning of the tables. In our text today, our author Matthew places this scene as the very next thing that we read. Mark and Luke both place a small story in between and John places it at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Some say that John did this for thematic reasons as not one of the synoptic gospels. He took a little bit more liberty with the story and that the cleansing of the temple was so important that it was almost like a lens that you can view the rest of Jesus's ministry through. Some say that he may have cleansed the temple twice, which makes it kind of funny to think about the second time that he came in and like people like seeing him come in and being like, oh my, everybody put it all away either way that you would like to view this story, we can know that is very important. So after this scene, this grand entrance, Jesus heads to the temple and he starts to turn over tables as a calculated statement, not a fit or a tantrum. So let's read this account in Matthew. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is a statement against the institution that did not resemble the kingdom of heaven that Jesus came to usher in. This is a moment where the Messiah shows us what the kingdom of God was really like. But again, in a way that most around him were taking back confused and some infuriated by. Jesus's first stop was not to the capital, but to the church. He went to the heart of the institution and cast out this false religion, one with limits and separation and weird expectations. Once again, flipping along with some tables, the people's expectation of exactly what he came to do on its head. You see, the Palm Sunday message, along with this scene at the temple, are both saying the same thing if we have eyes to see it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it will not come in the way that you think. It will not come through power, influence, and force, but through love justice, mercy, and sacrifice. The first will be last. The outsiders are now insiders. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but it will not look like the ways of the world. The people were right. Their king had come, but so many people missed it because they already had a specific outcome written out in their head. Their king had come, but the people began to drop like flies when he started going off script and not doing exactly what they thought he should do. So all of this leaves us with a few questions to wrestle with this morning. What do we do when Jesus doesn't show up in the way we expect him to? What happens when our expectation of how we want him to show up And the reality of the outcome that we've been hoping, believing, and even praying for don't line up. What will we do when the saving we long for doesn't come in the way we expect it to? It's easy to render Jesus useless when we're only willing to see him on our terms. And before we turn our nose at the people from the text, they were looking and searching for relief, for something to give in their favor, for someone to save them from the oppression that they had been living in and under for years. They had been praying, believing, and hoping, and this felt like the moment. As we've already pointed out, all signs pointed to this is it, this is the moment. And so we can have empathy with them this morning. Remember, we're placing ourselves into the story. We can have empathy to what they were going through. They had expectation and hope, and none of this is bad. It was just their expectation of how he was going to do it is what got them into trouble. And I know for me, this can be such an easy trap to fall into, particularly in times of crisis and times of need, times when we take big steps of faith. God, we need you to act now. We need you to step in and do this for us. Some of you know our family's story with City Church began as a church planting journey. We came to City Church with the hope and the dream to plant a church in West Tulsa And we jumped into Seed Network and began all that's involved there. And after months of prayer and conversation, we were approached by Pastor Matt and asked to consider planting a location of City Church. And the dream of City West began. We built our launch team of beautifully amazing committed people who were committed to the mission and what we were going to be doing in West Tulsa. We planned and prepared. We prayed and cried, our house became City West Incorporated um, in the weeks prior, and it was filled, literally filled with signs and kid supplies and door hangers and all of the things that come along with church planning. It was incredible and completely insane. And I, I couldn't help but think of this moment in my life this week as I prepared for this message because launch week and month felt so much like this grand entrance that we were talking about, our team just ready, like, this is it. This is our moment. We're about to go in, we're gonna conquer this place, we're gonna do this thing, and we launched, and it was both really great and really, really hard. We planted in a difficult place, and we knew that, and so it was just like continually, like, we're putting our noses to the ground, we're gonna keep working week after week, and we did that, we kept working, and just as we were feeling a slight shift in momentum, and we were looking forward to and planning expectantly of our first Easter as a church just a few short months after planting March of 2020 happened and we tried to keep it going we toiled and prayed and we met in a park and we found a new location when we couldn't meet in our original location. We tried to figure out exactly what we were supposed to do over months and months, and in the end, uh, we made the decision to join back together and reimagine what ministry would look like for us and what our West Tulsa ministry would look like. Most of you guys know this story or familiar with it, but full disclosure, there was a after moment, after moment, where we were like, what are you doing here, God? Where are you? We did the things. We prayed the prayers. We took the step. We gathered the team. We did all of the work. It feels like we held up our end of the bargain and then you bailed. We were disappointed We were hurt all the while trying to lead other people that we brought to this place through their hurt. Our narratives in our head was like, you know, we've been in ministry almost our entire married life and we keep getting knocked down. I mean, on our backs knocked down. And like gluttons for punishment, we keep standing back up again just to get knocked back down again. We were so disappointed. It did not go anything like we thought it would, like we dreamed it would. We felt let down by God. It didn't go at all as planned, not even close. Listen, I'm not here today to dash your hopes and expectations of God. It is right and good to have those. He is big and all-knowing. He's the only thing that all of our hope can be anchored to. But our hope and our expectation has to be balanced out with the spiritual practice of surrendering control. A continual loop of hope and expectation of God to move on our behalf while here on this earth. And then a fully letting go and a surrendering of the ultimate outcome into his loving hands. Pastor Matt spoke so beautifully about this a few weeks ago as we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the power of the word nevertheless. A powerful prayer framework that says, God, I know you can do all things. And so if possible, please change this situation. God, I not only believe, I know that you can do this. I have my hope in you. My expectation is that you would move but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, I know that you can move, I know that you can heal, I know that you can change this, but nevertheless, I trust that your perspective is greater than mine. I trust that my view is limited, so give me your vision. Because here's what happens from experience expectations tied solely to a predetermined end will lead to a disillusioned faith. And so often in the middle of our disillusionment, we miss the even greater story that God is trying to write in our lives that is right in front of us. Because again, our view is limited. We are limited as humans, limited to the here and now, to what is right in front of us in the moment. And so if the connection isn't made from my hope and what I was hoping is gonna happen, as in this and this didn't happen, it's so easy to walk away. Again, rendering Jesus useless because he didn't show up on our terms. This is why the crowds around Jesus grew smaller and smaller in the week leading to the cross. Without true discipleship, unmet expectations are an easy out. The people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples, his people, his followers, their story with him didn't just begin. They have history. They have been with him, walking with him, learning from him, being loved and rebuked by him. They have seen him show up and exceed expectation and seen him show up and confuse them greatly. This is not the first time that they had seen big crowds around Jesus. They had seen big crowds after crazy, miraculous moments. And they had also seen the majority of those crowds turn and walk away after Jesus tells everyone to eat his flesh and drink his blood. As we've already laid it out, we have to infer and know from this story that the disciples were expecting something different in this moment of the story as well. So we know they must have been confused and a little bit disappointed, but their history, their relationship, their discipleship up to that moment caused them to once again stay and trust in the middle of their feelings. They have learned at this point in their walk with him that Jesus says that things in the kingdom are often not as they seem, and that Jesus does the unexpected, with the greatest good in mind. Did they continue to question things and make mistakes? Did some of them fall asleep in garden moment prayers, cut off ears and just straight up bail during the arrest of Jesus? Yes, but we find them back shortly after. And in this moment today, they stay. I get so much encouragement from the human journey of the disciples. And so I ask us again this morning, what do we do when Jesus doesn't show up in the way that we expect him to? What do we do when we're asking him to change a situation and his first start, stop is at the heart of the matter and he begins turning over the tables in our hearts? What do we do with our disappointment Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel let down or disappointed. Can I just say you are not alone? But my encouragement for you this morning is no matter how difficult this may be, to look back on other chapters of your life. Gain trust from reflective perspective. As the disciples must have done, remember his faithfulness and surrender control of a specific outcome and realize his ways are not mine. His vision is greater. In our disappointment over City West, he reminded us time and time again that our view of success was so faulty. It looked exactly like the world and not like the kingdom, which looks a lot like obedience and faithfulness. We were so fixed on the one way that we expected him to show up that we missed so much of what he did and is still doing. Oh, This doesn't take the emotion away. It doesn't take what I feel in the moment or in moments where my pride begins to bubble up. But now my prayer looks a little bit like this. God, give me eyes to see. Give me your eyes to see. Because again, the wild thing about our story and our text for today is that Jesus is answering the cries of the people. He was fulfilling in real time the long awaited prophecy that they had been longing to see. That day, riding into Jerusalem, Jesus answered all their prayers. And said yes to all of their desires, only he did so at the deepest level, in ways that they could not see or fully understand. The people were longing for a conquering king, and instead he came as a suffering servant. They were looking for someone to come through town and begin overthrowing the government. And instead he goes to the house of worship and throws over tables and invites those who had always been on the outside inside. Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom of God is not about blessing things as they are presently arranged, but changing them until the present arrangement reflects the one that God intends. Everything is at risk when Jesus begins his entry into Jerusalem. And the same is true when Jesus enters your life and mine. This is costly discipleship and a sobering reminder for us today. Would you stand with me this morning? as we prepare our communion elements. Fleming Rutledge calls Palm Sunday the Trojan horse of the Christian calendar we're lured in by the festivity and quickly knocked over the head with the brutality of Good Friday. There's no path from Palm Sunday to Easter without walking through death. So today, as we begin Holy Week, this week stretching from Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem to his death on the cross and his resurrection, this week shows us everything about God. But it doesn't ask us to understand God. Holy Week asks us to behold God in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to do this morning as we take communion. But just close your eyes with me. When we behold Jesus, we are beholding God. We see Jesus share an intimate meal with friends about to betray him. Jesus kissed mockingly on the cheek. Jesus healing a man who'd come to arrest him of a wound given by one of his disciples. Jesus put on trial in the name of God. Jesus insulted and beaten. As we behold Jesus in all of this, we are beholding God. God betrayed and mocked. God healing one that came as an enemy. God put on trial and beaten. And worst of all, God put on a cross. We behold you, Jesus. We make space to behold you, to feel the weight of the weak. behold you Jesus as we remember your body that was broken for us we remember what it means, what it meant for you to set your face towards Jerusalem your body broken for each and every one of us we behold you we remember Let's take the body together, God. We behold you as we remember your blood that was shed for us, your blood that covers and washes over us, your blood that made a way where there was no way. The cross. Let's take the cup together. just take a few moments just to kind of set in the message of today. I just want to encourage you if you are here with disappointment and discouragement to just symbolically hold it before the Lord palms open. God, we're here. We bring everything of who we are. Everything that we're holding and carrying, all of our hope and our expectation all of our disappointment and discouragement of wondering where you were, why you didn't show up in the way we expected you to. God, we hold that before you today. God, we give you the weight of control that we were never meant to carry in the first place. We surrender all of that to you. And Lord, we pray this prayer, would you give us eyes to see Give us eyes to see, give us your vision. Help us to see your glory all around us, your moving and working and saving. Help us not to miss it just because it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. We trust that you know best. Who are we? Who are we to know and to think we would know how you should work and how you should move? We trust your perspective in the middle of our feelings. We surrender it all to you. We surrender it all to you, God. And God, I pray for this week over each and every one of us in this room, God, this week, this sacred span of time, God, would we continue to make space all week long to behold you, to behold God in the person of Jesus Christ. May our vision, may our eyes and heart be drawn to you. Would you give us a new revelation of what this week means for us personally? Would you grow and deepen our discipleship and our obedience to you? Would the roots of of our relationship grow deep and wide in this holy week? Thank you, Lord. I thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. I'll ask the prayer team to make their way down to the front, any of our staff and elders as well. If you have something that you would like to pray over, and you'd have like to have someone agree with you in prayer, these people that are going to be down here are here to do that. And so if you want to just grab one of them on your way out, we'd love to pray with you. Um, As we said, there's a lot going on this week. So get that card, take it with you, put it on your fridge or wherever you keep things, important things, so you can remember the dates. Um, Let's end with our mission statement and go live it out. Wherever you are, be the gospel. Have an amazing week.